You're listening to episode 32 of the National Centre for Writing podcast with me, Simon Jones. Every week we talk about the writing life and discover exciting new projects. It's Wednesday 13th of February here at Dragon Hall in Norwich and this week we have an interview with the entity that is Nikki French, comprised of wife and husband team Nikki Gerard and Sean French. Asking the questions is Chris Rushby, the much-loved and recently retired bookseller from the classic department store Gerald's here in Norwich. This interview is from the Noiridge Crime Writing Festival in 2018 and provides a superb insight into how two very different writing techniques can combine to form singular novels. Noiridge itself will of course be back this year, so make sure you get the dates of 12th to the 15th of September into your diary. Now here's Chris talking with Nikki and Sean. There's a uniqueness almost to your um, writing partnership. You write good books and there are two of you, so people want to talk about the, the two of you bit. So if we can do this first, I think it's you who've described your collaboration as a folie à deux, um, which I don't think is a good thing necessarily, <laughs> but how would you describe your collaboration? Uh, well, I can explain that folie à deux is, is traditionally a term used by psychiatrists, and I can say it's not a good thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> folie à deux is just applied to two people who get together and commit far worse crimes together than they would ever have done alone. It's applied to people like the Fred and Rosemary West or Bonnie and Clyde. So, but, I will go for the Bonnie and Clyde one, I think. But I, but I suppose... <clears throat> but one, you know, cause, you know, one, cause I think one of the questions about writing together is, why, you know, it's not just why do we do it, why do we put ourselves through it? Because writing alone, as anyone who writes, is very hard and nerve-wracking. And I think writing in collaboration is that cubed, you know, because you're, it involves, you know, de- dealing with another person. And, and we, you know, Nikki and I started, we wrote our first book, we started writing our first book a very long time ago, at the beginning of 1995. And it really was just because we were both, we were separately writers and journalists. And we, we wrote the first book as an experiment, just to that, see whether it was... That was the memory game. The memory game, yeah. that's right. Whether, you know, just to see whether, you know, could we create one voice? And so it wasn't, we, we had no, there was never a plan that we were going to be sitting here, you know, in, in Norwich with me as a female crime writer in, you know, in 2018. <laughs> it just was an idea, a plan. Could we literally get, construct the story? Could we tell the story and get to the end? We, didn't even, we weren't even sure it would, anyone, you know, it would be, whether it would be published. And I think what we found, you know, it, it wasn't just that we could do it. There was a certain kind of, excitement that was different from writing on our own and uh and so i think there was a feeling that we were by writing together we were sort of pushing each other into areas that we wouldn't do on our own and we were writing in a way that was different from the way we wrote on our own so that was that was a big surprise about about writing together i'm not sure you want to give these secrets away but i i'm I'm keen to delve a bit into the detail of how you do this and i'm thinking of collaborators i was thinking of songwriters like Lennon and McCartney who are nominally they shared all the credits but in fact you could usually tell it was a Lennon song or a McCartney song could somebody tell your passage or your passage of that book are they are they different or how do, how do you so, blend so, seamlessly so I, I honestly think that nobody can tell some people think they can tell and about 50% of the time they're right as it were I really really think it's impossible to tell and the reason for that I mean the, when, we, when we write together, it's not that Sean is writing as Sean French 
and giving it to me, and I'm trying to kind of push as much Nikki Gerald as I can into it. It's more that we're trying to write into this new voice that we've created, this voice of Nikki French. So when we say what we do, we spend kind of weeks and months thinking of what the book is, kind of what its, you know, what its spine is and its beating heart is, what the characters are, what the plot is, the journey it's going. And then only when we think that we both have the same book in our heads do we start writing. And when we write, we write absolutely separately. So it's not like, Leonard, it's not like being a songwriter or a kind of screenwriter. We go, so Sean, ha this is very gendered, Sean has a shed in the garden. <laughs> it's a very nice shed, but it's a shed. And I have an attic. Um, and we, so we go to our different workspaces and one of us will begin. And we never plan in advance who it's going to be. And they will write the first, say, chapter and email it. And that's actually, maybe we'll come back to that. That emailing a bit is quite important. So I, from my attic, will email it to Sean in his study. And, and then he is free to... Um, edit me, add to me, erase me, if necessary, <laughs> um, and before going on to the next, say, chapter. So we pass it between each other like that. You have never tried swapping venues to see if it changes the way you write, have you? Oh, no, but that's a good idea. <laughs> well, can I say also... But I wouldn't want to, because if you go into Sean's writing space, you wouldn't want to write there either. So you're <laughs> <laughs> not a good <laughs> Also, can I say they were particularly they were chosen for a reason. So the, uh, the, I think that we have, I mean, people have assumed that we must, because we can write together, we must have really similar temperaments and really similar writing styles. And we both our temperaments and our writing styles are, when we do, when we work separately, completely different. Um, but the, you know, one I, I would say, let me from, put it from my point of view. I think that Nikki is kind of is phenomenally focused as a writer. So I think, I feel if Nikki was, is in the middle of a paragraph and a bomb went off outside the window, she'd sort of get, make sure she got to the end of the paragraph and it was right, and then she'd get up and look and see what had happened. Whereas me, if a kind of bird flies past the window, I have to get up and go and look at it. You know. and, uh, and so one, I, I'm so just going to interrupt because that, we had one time when we wrote in the same writing space together, um, just for boring technical reasons. And it was a great revelation to me, and we're never going to do it again. <laughs> so I arrived at my desk at like 8.30 and started writing, and then Sean came in a little bit later and asked me if I wanted more coffee. Very, uh, very nice of him. And then went and got more coffee, and then he sat down, and then about 10 minutes later, I think he did notice a bird on the bird table, and we had to look it up together. And then he started talking about what we were going to have for lunch... And then he started talking about what we were going to have for supper. And then he went and got the crossword and read me out some clues. And I was there trying to write. And then he said, the, the final straw, and this was before we'd even got to our 11s, he said, um, he said, I've got a really good idea. Let's learn Russian together. <laughs> <laughs> that is it. So, so no, there you go. I'm sorry, I It's very important to be open to new ideas. But anyway, <laughs> I, believe, I, I believe your question was, can people spot different things? And I, and I think really one of the points is, is by the time we get, for a start, I think we both write, we, when we start writing, we write not as each other, but as Nikki French for a start. And also we, 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 move, we spend you know, a year writing and rewriting and then editing each other's work. So I think by the time you get to the, you know, 
anyone else reads a book. It's a, I think it's almost as if we cooked the casserole together and someone said, this bit of carrot, was that cooked by Nicky or Sean? You know, I think it's just, it's just such a mess. But, however, I would really say that I think that our, I sometimes think our worst readers are our close friends or family members who just, in a way, can't stop themselves from saying, you know, oh, this character, isn't that like someone that Nicky used to know? Or, or this, this, isn't this, this place, isn't that somewhere where Sean lived once? And, you know, and it's just, that really is not the point. We read the, we, 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 you know, we always want the books to be read as this person, Nikki French. She's a particular writer with her particular imagination, and that's what the books are about. So I'm going to go to so the very first... You're going to... Maybe, maybe <laughs> more questions. <laughs> the very first question you asked was, how would you describe it? And, and you talked about folly. You see, we're going to go right back to the beginning, and we're never going to get beyond this. We're just going to... Rounds, <laughs> so it's round like Tristram get. Shandy or something. So, and Sean was talking about it as folly dirt. And I guess what I would say is more like... Is, is like the two of us exploring the world together. Or the other way I would describe it is it's an act of enormous trust because we're each having to not just trust each other to be each other's best reader and editor and rewriter, but also we're just kind of giving... You know, writing is such an intimate act and, you know, anyone who writes knows what it's like when somebody changes it or frowns at it or but you're not allowed to unedit are you no you're so not we have to so the rules back. that we have are, so so because we have because we have to say this is not a power struggle at all and it's all done in the service of nikki french as it were so with the rules that we have three basic rules which are all in this kind of about trust really so the first is that trust and respect so the first is that we never sh when we correct each other or change each other we do it invisibly, and that's why we email it to each other. So if I write something, Sean can't summon me and sit me down and with his red pen and show me which bits he thinks aren't very good. He's got to just do it invisibly. Um, and so I won't see it until it comes back to me. But you know time. what they were, and there might be something that you really treasured. I know what they are, but somehow there's that visible thing. And then, of course, sometimes I'll send something to Sean and feel very happy about it. And then when it comes back, it's gone. But, you and know, that's but, very sad. But, we've always, we've, but we, but we yeah. have to... But we're not, the other next rule is when I'm not allowed to replace it because but, that would be against the... But we've often thought that... I think in the days before writing on a computer, you know, where, where you were... You know, when I started in journalism, I'd write an article by hand, then type it out. And if we were still doing that, I think we would not have been able to collaborate because... Because I think the the rewriting would be it would be so painfully visible. You know, if you got back your typescript and it was just hacked, you know, and huge <laughs> lines through it and things written down the margin, I think it just would be too would be too ob too obvious. It, I think also I, that just uh, you know I think those rules are important, but those rules have kind of emerged. And I think in a way rules don't matter because what it's really about is the spirit behind it. And I think if there was if there was a feeling that we were just sort of elbowing each other and each of us had a different view of what the, kind, what the book should be and it was a power struggle. We wouldn't have written 10 pages of the first book. You know, there, is a, there has to be a kind of trust, you know, because actually being edited, any kind of editing is, is a bit painful. Being really rewritten is, you know, unless you feel it's, about, it's not about what I want the book to be. It's just what does this book need to be? You know, what has, what, how, what, what's, the, what's the best way, what's the best version of this book? And I think that we've always felt that, you know, despite a few sulks and shouting and raised voices, you know, but... but you know. 
Is there anything you specialise in? Like if, if there's a throat slitting or a car chase, is, it, is, it, is one of you more adept at those things? Throat, you'll slitting, write those? throat slitting is very much Nikki's kind of thing. I would leave, leave that to her, you know. So that's, that's another thing. We never... So when we do research, we both do the research, always. So it's very, it's very inefficient with time. And it takes... It's not kind of this bit's for Sean and this bit's for Nikki that I do the kind of makeup. There's not much makeup in our books. And Sean does the kind of mending the cart. There's none of that, I don't think. <laughs> but, but no, so, so we, well, we, we never decide in advance who's going to write which bit. So we, it's just whoever comes to it is the person who writes it. But, but as you said, you know, there are other couples. You know, I'm always really, you know, I'm interested how people write, but I'm particularly interested in how other couples write. And the, I mean, I don't know if anyone's read uh, Sheerval and Valeur, the Swedish couple who wrote married couple who wrote really terrific police no, uh, procedurals in the, in the 60s and 70s. Uh, in fact, they wrote 10, and then he died. So I think I've done a little bit better. You know, I've managed to survive at least to, to where we are now. But in that case, she wrote the more... Kind of, I mean, he, well, he wrote the, the kind of police procedural stuff, and she wrote the more kind of literary stuff. Whereas, or even the, well, the, the couple we just, you had mentioned in the, who we did the piece with. Right, and they, and, Harry, and yeah. in that particular case, she's a big expert on the, on the historical background, and he's written thrillers before, so they, they brought separate skills, but we have always, we've made, never made any decision, you know, we never decide who's going to write what or anything. You've said, I think this was you again, Sean, you write the stories you have to write, so how would you characterize, what is it that you two have to write? What does that mean? So that's... Wow, that's so interesting because, in a sense, I mean, what's interesting when we start, when we're thinking about what next book to write, is there are some ideas that Sean will have, which I don't, don't take fire with me, and vice versa. So there's some kind of Sean, you know, so we have to find what it is that kind of Nikki, gets Nikki French going. And I think what we've realised over the, how many years, Sean? 20 23 years that we've been writing together is that, I mean, Nikki French is a, she's a female psychological thriller writer. She's, she's not interested in the kind of fear about kind of 10 days to save the world or anything. She's interested in kind of really, I suppose, intimate dread, stories of intimate dread. And a lot of the time, what we find that we're writing about is we, is those moments in which your life unravels. You know, and in a way, one of the things we kind of talked about a lot since becoming a French is how, is how we all think we're on kind of solid ground. Or, no, not all of us. A lot of us feel that we all like to feel that we're on solid ground, that we've earned our own luck, that we you know, have a job and a house and a marriage and a mortgage and a, and washing, and a car and things are going according to plan. But it just takes one misstep one kind of wrong turning, one person looking at you and feeling strangely about you to, to kind of fall through the thin ice into the dark woods. And that's what we're interested in, that kind of moment, those moments in which extraordinary things happen to ordinary lives and then ordinary lives unravel and what do you discover I mean, about yourself? We can just give a couple of examples almost because I mean, there's sort of things we, we've we haven't uh, had this sort of idea of, oh, what if two, two women get together and rob a bank, you know? great subject, but we have no, that's not what we do. But the sort of starting point we have had is, we almost had the idea of something that begins like a, like a rom-com, which is uh, what we did called Secret Smile, which is 
a, a woman has a, has a brief affair with this man and then, and then breaks it off. She thinks he's a creep. And then he, what it, and he just doesn't leave. He refuses to leave. And, you know, and that, you can imagine that with Hugh Grant playing the man and it would be an amusing <laughs> and thing and they'd end up together. But actually, in reality, it's a really horrible... And, it's actually, and, and, what we, and when we talked about it, we started from that very simple idea and the more we talked about it, but the kind of creepier, you know, because it's, it's have, having someone who just insinuates himself into every bit of her life, and that was, you know, so it's that. It's the as Nikki was saying, it's the kind of everyday dread that we're, you know, this is just the, the thing where it's about people. You, I mean, we, we we always try and it's almost one of our exercises. We sometimes feel that when you look at thrillers, everyone seems to know they're in a thriller from the very from the beginning, whereas you know, actually, in the existing kind of thriller land, whereas we tend we we. We, we want people who don't want to be in a psychological thriller. You know, they want to be in a rom-com, or they want to be, you know, or not in any kind of novel at all. And then suddenly, just yes, the one decision, one thing going wrong, and what happens then? Sorry, right, so I was going to uh, the other thing that, I mean, in a way, one of the things that we also think is that, you know, people talk about what you know what normal life is like. We don't think that there is such a thing, really. And we don't think that anyone, anyone, any person is normal. I mean, I don't think any of us... And, and what does it mean to be normal? So, actually, what we're really fascinated by is what lies under the surface of it. I mean, you know, we go around being so kind of orderly. Our self is often so very orderly. But underneath, there's this maelstrom of emotions. We're all full of kind of angers and jealousies and sadnesses and that we that we never show the world and what thrillers can do is they just they break through that protective surface so you, they, you kind of turn the self inside out so why is the crime and thriller genre burgeoning like it is you're in you're in an area of writing that's now more popular than general fiction this festival didn't exist five years ago so many so many new books and authors why why is it so popular why is it increasingly popular? Well, in a way, they just, I mean, we, in a way, we, it's a bit like asking a bird why ornithology is so popular, you know, that we're, you know, we're so, so but, but if I can try and step out for, for a moment, it, I mean, I feel in, in a sense that the, the, what drew us to it, um, you know, apart from that, when we decided to write together, it was clear we needed to write a kind of literature that had a, it was very strong on story because we were both going to, we needed to do a certain kind of planning. And there is just, I think, the psychological th uh, thriller. It's a bit, I mean, I think it's the equivalent of why, you know, why do little children like fairy tales? It's a way of exploring their fears in a kind of safe way. And I think there's something about, I think it's a really powerful way of, of looking at our, the things, the things, you know, confronting fears, the th looking at, as almost like a therapy of looking at the kind of, the things that worry us about life, the things that the things that, that are kind of we're not quite sure about, the thing you know, as a way of working through certain things. I mean, did, as Nikki mentioned, I, I think one of the big, often one of the great subjects of the psycholo psychological thriller is the, is families, you know. And, and I think, I mean, you know, I think we often think that you know people say, where do you get your ideas from? And if you live in a family, you've got a lifetime of material <laughs> for psychological thrillers. Because all fa I think every family is a drama, and everyone, all families have their secrets. All families have the things that people don't talk about, or the things that they, you know, they think, you know. So there's a bit of an answer. So what I, I was going to also add, maybe that I mean, I I feel that you know we live in an age where there's kind of absolute 
truths have broken down and, and, and absolute figures of authority we don't possess anymore. So in the past, we used to have priests and doctors and kind of religions and those kind of kind of absolute beliefs, which I think have just been eroded now. And so there's a sense of kind of chaos and uncertainty and what do things mean, what does life mean? And psychological thrillers, thrillers, it's a very, they're a very good way. You take kind of the chaos and the mess and the fearfulness of life and you give it a kind of order. I mean, they're both scary and they're quite comforting because you lead people out of the terror towards some kind of solution. There's a restoration of normality. It might not be as it was in the beginning, but at least by the end of most novels, you've got back to some kind of peace. Or, sh oh. or shape, yeah. Some, you, some, yes, some I'm, kind of resolution. I think to some extent, I slightly... I mean, because I think there's a traditional idea of the golden age of, of detectives where, where, you know, there's a murder and then, the, you know, and there's something bad happens and then the detective comes in and it's solved and you go back to the way you were before. And I think... I don't think we, any of us believe that anymore. And, and actually, and this is not just our own fiction. If you just, if you, I think one of the things about, um, that I'm, that I'm interested about, about the, you know, the whole, the genre, the detective, the crime fiction genre, is just how, it's how dark it is and how the darkness that readers will tolerate, you know. It's, and, and, and the kind of, the, the certain kind of, you know, and these one, I don't think one can generalise too much because you know Ian Rankin and Val McDermott and Mark Billingham. These they're also they're all very different. But you know, the, well, I'll tell you what, there isn't there isn't a feeling of oh, I better not go. You know, this will be too much for people. <laughs> I don't think there's anything where I mean, except sometimes. The only thing that's sometimes I think sometimes you get to a point where. I think there was a time a few years ago where certain kinds of fiction got so violent that, in a way, it almost stopped being frightening. Because it, you know, if, if every book begins with like ten naked teenage girls being hung upside down from a church roof, you know, bleeding, you kind of think, well, what happens what in chapter is two? That? I don't know. That's right. That came out of my <laughs> fevered imagination. That's rather good. Good, good subject for a novel. I'm not sure if you'll write it with me, but. You know. <laughs> But, but Chris was saying, he said, you don't get back to... I mean, I think that's quite right, that things can be very dark. But, nevertheless, there is a kind of shape you give things. Yeah. There is a narrative. And, that, and never underestimate the power of story. Right, I think we ought to move forward at the risk of going back to the beginning again <laughs> and, and start to talk about Frida Klein. Can I just do a straw poll here? Who in the audience has read... No free decline novels oh, at all. Oh dear, this can be very embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few, I think that enough yeah. putting their hands up there for us to perhaps start at the beginning and ask you to talk about, well, the character of Frida and Blue Monday and whether that was originally going to be a one-off and how she came to be this enduring character that she's been through the series. So we, we always thought we were writing standalone thrillers. Um, and actually, really what happened was that Frieda Klein kind of came to visit us, if you like. So we had an idea of a protagonist who was a psychotherapist, and she didn't want... She didn't really didn't want to be a detective. She definitely didn't want to be in a thriller. She, she believes, Frieda believes, that you can't solve the kind of 
the mess and the, you know, the disorder and the cruelty of the world. You just have to address the trouble that lies within and kind of face your own demons. And she's quite reclusive, so she lives largely in her little house and in her consulting room. And then the events of Blue Monday force her out into the real world. And that was the kind of initial drama we thought of, this kind of woman being dragged out and being made to behave like a detective. And the more we thought about Frida, we thought of this woman who was reclusive, rather solitary, prickly, honourable, a truth-teller, whether or not people wanted truth to be told, um, and someone very good at discovering other people's secrets and very good at guarding her own secrets. And we just thought, she needs more than a book. She needs more than a book because she won't disclose herself to us in one book. We won't get to the end. She'll, be, she'll resist us. So we needed to... And then, so, then we, so we knew absolutely before we started writing that she was going to have eight books. And so she, we were going to follow her over eight years, really. I have to say, that is one vow we've made. We're never going to do that again. We're never going to announce in advance that we're going to write an eight-book series because if it all dribbled to an end after three books and we couldn't think of anything else or people had, you know... And it's uh, worse than that because all the books are named after days of the week, partly because we wanted to kind of, you know, time passing. Day, eight days of the week, but nevertheless, days of the week. And so it would have been very visible if we'd stopped on Wednesday. So. Also, <laughs> also, can I find another matter? Of course, needless to say, everyone assumed that it was a seven-day serious because of the days of the week so there was some we got some terribly angry messages after the ending because it, <laughs> Sunday anyone who's read it ends on a real cliffhanger and we got these messages saying well if I'd known it was going to end like this I would never have read them in the first place <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we had to write back immediately so, no 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 there is there's one more there's one more to come the books are set in largely in London and uh, actually one of the most frightening things I read is that you cycle around London doing research cycling around London is like scariest thing imaginable but, but can you we, talk a bit about did. London and the books well yeah we were very clear from the beginning there were two main characters it was going to be it was going to be Frida and it was going to be London and it was London and we were going to set it in in a London it was always going to be the London uh, of the time while we were writing it we wanted to show how London is a city that's endlessly changing and being knocked down and wrecked and all and being you know people are always complaining saying oh it, you know, it used to be nice but now it's been ruined and also, and and we, and we also were very clear. We wanted to show a a, um, uh, a London that people didn't, even Londoners didn't really know about. And one of the one of the things why we feel a bit bereft of having finished it is one of the great pleasures of the last eight or nine years. As you're saying, we've just spent, we've just headed off into really weird parts of the city. You know, really strange. You know. It's like weird forgotten bits on the edge of, you know, weird little demolished areas. And it's been at that. And doing that and seeing these hidden forgotten bits of London through Frida's eyes has been a, a, a really extraordinary experience. So you knew you were going to write the eight novels. Did you have the, the arc of all eight there in so, place yeah, as you began? So what we, what we had... So what, what happens is that there's a... There's a an event that happens. I'm not going to say very much about it because some people here haven't read any free decline. <laughs> so there's an event that happens in Blue Monday that then sets off a story which kind of burns its way through 
the following seven novels, like a kind of fuse and comes to its climax in Day of the Dead. And that big story that goes through e each novel, we, we kind of knew its journey. We didn't know it in detail, but we knew it. And, but then each of the novels is a standalone novel in its own right as well, although it's linked by this bigger story. And we, we didn't know those. We didn't know those, partly because it, that just wouldn't have worked. We needed, so for instance, we had characters in Blue Monday, and some of them we didn't think were going to stay, and they just wanted to stay, and so we had to let them. And some of them we, we kind of thought were going to stay, and they just didn't get on so well. So you, you kind of have to respond to what you're writing, and, and that's when writing feels like it's working, when it's just being a bit disobedient and won't do what you're wanting it to. I think you've said a couple of things on this subject. I think, Nikki, you said once... Once you start trying to calculate what a reader wants from you, you're done for. And also, but also, I think you've spoken about the interaction with the audience and the way that might just over these eight novels have influenced the way characters develop because unlike the standalones, people get to tell you what they think about those yeah, characters. Yeah, no, it's true. Has that, has that happened? Yeah, well, it's complete. I mean, that, I mean that's the thing, writing the series, it's... it's it's, it really felt like start, it felt like a new career. There are all these sort of. I mean, this may not be so interesting to an audience, but but it's they're just these strange technical things. And if you make a de decision about you know something happens in book two, you're going to have to live with that. You know you can't. In suddenly in book five, saying oh I wish I hadn't done that in book two, and go back and change it. It's too late. And and as, as Nikki says, the, you know normally all in the past, by the time anyone else read the book, we were finished with the world. You know we, we were done with the characters. So if people didn't like particular character well tough you know they're, they're there and there's nothing to be done about it but in a way what you could it wasn't that we weren't sending out a questionnaire about what would you like to happen to to Frida you know should she, which which person should Frida end up marrying at the end of the you know this is a <laughs> uh, uh, but you know although we have heard that comment comments like that from readers but it's but more you just kind of get a feeling about the about how you know which well, you know about People, whether think the characters who work, characters who don't, or characters who've done the, all they need to do, you know. So, so the, you know, I think one example Nikki was mentioning is this: we had this character Joseph, uh, who's a he's a uh, Ukrainian builder who literally falls through the ceiling into Frida's consulting room, and he was just meant to be a, he was performing a very particular function in that one book. And he just, he, he was an example, he just refused to leave the series, you know, he just wouldn't, and he hung around, he's there right, and, he, and he's there right up to, the, up to the end. Whereas, you know, other, whereas other characters, you suddenly think, well, you know, they were, they were fine, but now it's time for them to be killed off, you know, which is something that you can, which is uh, one of the differences between writing a book and in real life, you know, you can't, it's, you, you, that's, you can't, it's, you know, for most so of you, So that thing about kind of you can't give readers what they, you know, you can't think about what readers want, I think that's really crucial to all writers, is that you can't start thinking, you know, we'll give people what they want, not what you want to write, but what they want you to write. You have to be writing the stories that you just have to write and then hope that your readers will agree with you. Because if you start kind of trying to second-guess readers, or, or sometimes if, if readers really like one book, they want you to read, want, write that again and then kind of turn you into some kind of formula of yourself. But you just can't do that. That's what I was meaning. Okay. It's always difficult to talk about the latest novel because you probably haven't read it or we want you to buy it and read it now. <laughs> so we don't want to tell you too much and spoil it for you. But the Day of the Dead, Day of the Dead it starts with Frida being 
she's away off there. It's not, it's not really about her. She's off on one side. She's a, a presence off. Yeah, yeah. so we, we, had, we had an idea that um, she would be an absent... She would almost be like a ghost for the first bit. And, and actually, we wanted the idea of the uncanny all the way through. Each novel has a kind of sense of the un a bit of the uncanny in it. And Day of the Dead certainly does. We wanted to have the sense of her just having disappeared. And so it's all the, all the people she loves are there looking for her. And she's just off stage. And you don't know when she's going to appear. And also, because the, there was a feeling of, you know, because it's got a different kind of title. And, you know, it's a, we, I mean, the, always we had this feeling that we, we, we really wanted to, we were very clear from the beginning with Frida, we wanted the story to come to an end. You know, we wanted the, st the story to stop, and we, and we really were thinking, all, you know, we, we weren't, you know, so as I think so, we didn't work, know every single detail of the story all the way through, but we were very clear. That, so this, the final book is about, you know, how do you, you know, because in, in, in life there aren't endings, and people go on, but it was how, you know, so, so the, and, the, and, the, and people know, of course, Day of the Dead, is an we were interested by it as a title, because it, although it sounds very ominous, of course, the Day of the Dead isn't about, it's not a kind of scary thing. The Day of the Dead, the Day of the Dead is when people, when you think about your past, and you think about your dead relatives, who you've still got a relationship with. So we want, in a way, it's where Frida is sort of at the end of this week, and she's sort of looking back at everything, at the thing, you know, the, what the kind of cost of it has been so, so that, that yeah, and that sense to... of her not being there and being like a ghost in a way we wanted to fill the books should be it was, it's it's i mean in each in each of the previous um Frieda Klein novels there's a secret underground river which runs into the thames which is which is a bit like a kind of metaphor as well for what she does as a psychotherapist and she walks those underground rivers and in day of the dead all the rivers are there and a lot of the people who were there in the previous books are there in some form, like trace memories. But also, just, and more specifically, just uh, anyone who's read the earlier novels, and, and as Nikki suggested, there's this thing running through the novels. There's a, she's haunted. There's, in a way, she's sort of haunted by this person. And, and, it's sort of, and it, she's haunted in different ways from book to book, and it's not even clear sometimes, is, is this person real? And in the end, Frida's, you know, by the time she gets to Day of the Dead, it's sort of enough is enough. This has to... This has to come to an end, and it, she sort of so she basically takes actions where it's going. You know, these two paths are going to meet one way or another. So that was what we was, what we was always heading for, and that's what the book is really about. It's a Titanic and iceberg-like convergence, isn't it? Yes. They're they're coming together, and there's going to be a a huge ending, which you have to read the book to get to. Oh dear! Oh, oh and incidentally. <laughs> Well done to you and the publisher for putting a really useful uh, map of London and its rivers at the uh, end pages yeah, of the no, book. I was flipping backwards and yeah. forwards a lot, I well, suppose. We, yes, well, I mean, we, you know, we hope, obviously, most people who read the book won't live in London and don't know London at all, but you could, I mean, we've been very, the, her walking around London is very specific. I mean, you could, you know, maybe we'll next we'll do a Nikki, uh, sort of a Frida Klein, you know, walking guide to London, because you could really pretty much... Really weird walking guide to London, though. You, <laughs> yeah, be, you, you well. do not want to go to some of these places. <laughs> we had, we went, we did one, one walk, for which novel was it? Friday or Saturday, when we went to kind of Thamesmead, the kind of edgelands of London, and we were kind of, we, we were on our bikes, actually, not walking, and we were going through, we kind of, I think we got it all wrong. We kind of were going through barbed wire fences and through nettles and <laughs> past sewage works. So if anyone wants to come on that tour, then... <laughs> not really.
There's a character called Lola in the novel who does exactly that kind of walking. And uh, can you talk a bit about the Lola character? She's very irritating. <laughs> Is she? Meant. But she's meant. Well, so, yeah. Well, well, yeah. Could, do you know, one of the things, that the, 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 one of the, it's interesting, I mean, the, the, one of the, again, the kind of technical challenge of writing a series is always the thing about how much do you need to explain, uh, you know, about well, you know about the characters in the past. And it's a really, and in a way, it's, it, you can see a lot of the problem often in the kind of in the TV series. Things like I sometimes think if people were suddenly tuned into like series four, episode five of Game of Thrones, you think, what the hell would you know would they think of what was going on? But so you, so so we thought almost like a kind of we'd almost play with that idea in in Day of the Dead. So we have this character, Lola, who's this very wide-eyed sort of student who actually takes on Frida as a research project. So she goes, so she actually, so in a way, you learn, so you can sort of learn, you can actually have a way of the reader learning yeah. about... Yeah, while Frida has disappeared, yeah, well, she's trying, yes, yeah. exactly. And then, and then, then, of course, she gets involved in the, in the project, you know, she gets too uh, involved... In her in her research project in a way that she hadn't anticipated. So. And, and, and you know, it, it, I think she's just, she's kind of so guileless, and that's why you're irritated by her. But also, she's guileless, and then she gets. She, I'm not much. telling what happens to her, but it's just, you know, it's like a kind of story of kind of defiled innocence. There's a. There was a Lee Child. Um, comment made on the stage a couple of years ago and answered the question, when will you stop writing Jack Reacher novels? And, and his answer was, well, when you lot tell me to stop by not buying them. You, <laughs> you never considered the alternative to the ending after eight because that's what you always decided no. and doing more because people might want more. No, no. We, but, so for, for various reasons, partly because that a nine-day week would be terrible and I don't know if going to... No, for, I mean, first of all, we just did have this idea of the shape of a story. Secondly, it, Frieda Klein is a psychoanalyst. She's not a detective. We found ways of making her into a detective. If we'd gone on finding ways of making her into a detective, it would have become risible, really. You know, it, you know, it, it's all very well for Agatha Christie, who has a completely different kind of contract with her readers, to have Miss Marple kind of endlessly open cupboard doors and bodies falling out but not for Frida, Frida she's not she's not we don't write novels like that so she couldn't go on also we'd put her through enough pain and what we wanted we in a way she, she's been so kind of marked and bashed about we needed to let her go and finally there's something very mysterious about Frida we wanted to keep her being a bit mysterious but you can't quite get to the bottom of her and we wanted her to leave before people wanted her to leave. Oh. I think you've, you've alluded to this already, but are you therefore feeling a mixture of bereavement and liberation That's leaving her behind? Exactly. There we are. I mean, yes, we absolutely. I mean, we the, absolutely, when we were writing the, whichever, whoever wrote the final pages of, of uh, Day of the Dead, we f there was a real feeling of loss. You know, we'd never felt, we, I think we'd really never felt that writing a book before, you know, th that someone was leaving our lives and we'd been seeing the world through her, you know, through her eyes for, for a decade and that was a really big thing. But then we've got other things, you know, we've, we've you know, we've, so let's not go too sad because we've actually written a whole book since then. So we are, you know, we're, we're, and that was very exciting. So that was another, you know, we have other stories that, you know, we were telling, we told a particular kind of story that, that through Frieda's life 
and that meant we, there were other things we couldn't do. So that there's, so we've been liberated to, 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 do, to do other things. We've got plenty of we've got other stories that we feel need telling. Up well, our sleeves. It says, uh, it says it in the Noirich brochure and publicity material, so I have to ask the question at this point. What does the future hold for <laughs> Nikki French? Yeah. What does the future hold? So, well, Nikki, so first of all, it does hold... I mean, Nikki French is going... Seems really weird talking about Nikki French. Is going to continue being Nikki French. So we're going to keep on writing. I mean, that's where we're like me, child. We'll go on writing until people tell us to stop writing. No, no, we're not like. We're going to, and then we'll carry on anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we, what we did as soon as we said goodbye to Frida, um, like this was last September. We went. Actually, we went on a walking holiday for ten days in northern Italy very long days of walking, during which time we decided what book we were going to write next, the kind of bones of the next book. And that's the book we have now finished, which is called The Lying Room. And it's a standalone, and it is entire, it's, I, I, th I think it has an entirely different kind of tone and subject matter and everything from Frida. So it's an, a way of saying, this is a new us. And now, and now actually, on... What day is it today? Thursday. Thursday. In three days' time, on Sunday morning, crack of dawn, we're driving off to spend three months in Italy to talk and write. So. Well, it's a fairly good excuse for missing the Sunday <laughs> events of the Norwich <laughs> Festival, I suppose. <laughs> Otherwise, we would be here. We'd love, we wish we'd love to have been in Norwich, but unfortunately, we're going to be in Tuscany. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, have you any plans to, to write... Um, alone, as well as writing together, you've you've both written solitarily in the past. Well, it's funny you should say that, but, but Nikki—it's not particularly funny because judging the subject, the subject matter. But Nikki has a book coming out in February, February yeah. about well, and, yeah, I can hand over to. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's important to us that we have our separate writing lives as well as our joint. We're not just we don't just go around hand in hand. <laughs> or not hand in hand all the time. So, so that's always been important that we have our separate lives as well. Um, and the, but the book I've just written has taken me a long time. To, it's a book about dementia, kind of the meaning of dementia. Non-fiction. Yeah. And standalone novels together in future or a series possibly? Could you contemplate that again? Do you know that every time we've ever made, I mean, you know, every time we've ever made a prediction about what we're going to do, we almost do end up doing the opposite. I remember we once, years ago, we had a conversation saying, we just say, acting, is there any subject matter that would just be off limits for us? And, we, and this is when we had little young children, and we, said, we actually said, um, actually, the, the death of a child, you know, that would just be too painful because we had these little children. And as soon as we said the words, we suddenly thought, that's a good idea. And actually, we've got to do that. So actually, the next thing we wrote was about the death of a child. So well, I don't know why I was laughing, saying that horrible thing. Uh, but so, you know, in a way, I, at the moment, we've, the, um, we've written a standalone, and the, we've got the germ of a story that we're going away, that we're just about to talk about, and that's definitely a standalone. But, you know, you just... You think, I mean, as... Uh, that, the thing which apparently I said, which sounds very wise, about you write, you just write the things you have to write, and you, and it's so. What what we would never say is, oh, it feels about right in our career to write, you know, or to, to write a series. That would be, you know, but what would what you would imagine happening is you suddenly 
you know, potentially you'd think of a certain kind of character. And this is the sort of character who's going to be interesting to show in a, in a series, you know, you don't want to just see them once. They need to, you want to see how they react in different cases. That could happen, but, but not, not, you know, not at the moment. And uh, apologies to you out-of-towners for this parochial question, but we do like an East Anglian-set crime novel around here. Well, and some of them are our best-selling titles. You wouldn't, you wouldn't ever well, we, be thinking of... Well, we've th I mean, we've sort of, we haven't quite worked our way all the way up to Norfolk, but, you know, but we're, because we're Suffolk people, really. I'm afraid, I regret to tell you. you know, and, and so we've definitely we've done that. We've, actually, I suppose we did, we've done one that's definitely... We've done a definite Essex, actually two Essex books, haven't we? And one Suffolk. We've done an Essex <laughs> book that feels like a Suffolk book. Yeah. <laughs> it's very and then, then maybe next time we'll do a Suffolk book book that feels like a Norfolk book. But and then we'll the uh, East Anglian Book Awards definition of East Anglia is Norfolk, Suffolk and parts of Cambridgeshire excluding Cambridge, so you, you, you just <laughs> need to move up a little. Well, that, that's very specific. It's very specific. <laughs> I've forgotten why. So. Um, you, you both studied literature at Oxford contemporaneously, but you never met. If you had of how would it all have been different? <laughs> that's no, that's a really good. That's now there's a personal question. So I think that's really. I think that sometimes the things you know, if you look back at your life, and the things, the things that happened at the wrong. You think oh, that that particular thing happened at the wrong time. I met that person at the wrong time, and I know it was very strange. So we, we you know, we must have just passed each other in the street, and you know, you know, uh, and. But we didn't meet, and I'm really, uh, you know, this is, you could say, oh, it would have been so nice if we'd met ten, ten years earlier. But I think I actually is part of one of the, you know, one of the great lucky things for me, for me was meeting Nikki. But also, it was really lucky that I met her when I was thirty. I think she, you know, if we'd met one, you know, it would have been different. I think also, I think that <laughs> I'm not sure if we'd have got on so well <laughs> as, as undergraduates as we did. You know, I think we met at the, we met at the perfect time. And also, she when when Nikki met, she had she had. Um, uh, had two small children, so things would have been extremely different if we'd, you know. Yes, when I met Sean, I had a son who was just two and a daughter who was not yet one. Um, and I met Sean in the, my childminder didn't turn up, so I took them both to work. And that's the, the first time I met Sean. He met all of us at the same time. So <laughs> And they're now about to be thirty. One's thirty-one, and the other's about to be thirty. So that shows how old we are. <laughs> in fact, one of the in fact, one of the strange things, it's slightly tiny addition, is, is is when we wrote when we started writing our first book, all our children were under the age of eight, and now they're all grown up. And it's been very. I wonder. I sometimes think about whether we should change as writers, knowing that our children are able to read what we write. Because there was one. I mean, the one. If anyone's read our book called Killing Me Softly, which is a book about a kind of a, a, a sexual obsession. And I, I'm not sure I'd wanted to read a book, that book written by my parents, you know. But, uh, <laughs> and one final question, which I guess does take us back to the beginning when I was trying to find out, work out how you do what you do. And Nikki, I think it was you who said, in marriage, we deal with irritating habits like dirty socks and washing up, but we never argue about the writing. There's something about you that's just a happy and harmonious writing partnership, and I don't believe any other couple in this room could do it, even if they had the talent. What, what is it? How do you manage this? 
marriage counselling. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, because it's not true. When we're not writing together, I mean, partly, in a serious way, partly it is this sense that we have this unspoken contract about writing together. Part, I think because we know how dangerous it would be if we, if we started to break that, if we started to squabble over changes that we'd made, if we started to kind of behave badly towards each other, the whole thing would just collapse. When, we're, when, we, when we're not a happy and harmonious couple all the time, we might be a happy and harmonious couple. not a happy and harmonious couple at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we yeah. do argue, or that I do argue, and he just, he. <laughs> he, goes, he goes very silent and disappointed looking, which is very irritating. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, I think, I think we trust each other, and I think we trust each other. And the more we've written together, and lived together, and worked together, and explored the world together, the more we trust each other. That's a good answer. Thank you so much for being here. You've been as warm and entertaining as your books are dark and <laughs> gripping. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for listening and thanks to both parts of Nikki French for that amazing insight into their process. Please do subscribe, rate and review the podcast over on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening. If you have writer friends, then do let them know about us. To make sure you're always the first to know about upcoming writing opportunities and events, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Writers Centre, like us on our Facebook page or sign up to our newsletter at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk. We're taking a short break, so there won't be an episode next week, but we'll be back soon with exciting new episodes, including a talk with John Ingold from Inkle Studios. Thanks again, keep writing, and I will catch you on a future episode.